Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. What do you like listening to? Um. <laughs> music. Chart music. <laughs> Chart music. <laughs> Hey up you pop crazed youngsters and welcome to the latest edition of Chart Music, the podcast that just wants tomorrow's world to end now. I'm your host, Al Needham, and I'm joined by two people who know what they're on about when it comes to music. First up, we have the welcome return of Simon Price. Simon, how are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you, Al. How are you? I'm very well indeed, sir. Anything amazing and pop happening in your life recently? No, I don't really live a sort of poptastic life, but I do like the fact that we have a general election coming up right now, and we're talking about um, a TOTP when that was also the case. I love synchronicity like that, don't you? My second guest is a new arse on the chart music sofa, Neil Kulkarni. Neil, welcome to chart music. Thank you, Al. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, another melody maker veteran for fuck's sake it's like it's like a melody maker care home now isn't it this place <laughs> we're going to have a sing along a suede after we've done this <laughs> Neil first question to any new uh, entrant to chart music is when did you start watching Top of the Pops I think it was um, I think it was round about the time that this this episode was um, oh that's convenient 79 because um, I mean I was I was six when this episode came out so for me, this has got a lot of vivid and pungent memories for me. This episode, it sparked off a lot of memories for me, actually. So I think it was round about now. And I think it was it was round about now that I not only started engaging with pop music a bit, but started engaging not with being a critic necessarily, but having a kind mm. of critical standpoint towards things. Because I'd lie on the floor watching Top of the Pots with my sister. And whenever they did the chart rundown, we'd raise our thumbs or, you know, our thumbs down for what we liked and what we didn't like. And, you know... Right. Of course, now, you know, you wouldn't click on a YouTube video of somebody that you hated. You wouldn't watch an Ed Sheeran video, for instance, through choice. But back then, obviously, you were kind of confronted with this pop music, often stuff that you didn't like. So you spent that time, uh, because it was the only little avenue into pop music that you had every week for half an hour. Mm. Um, you spent the time on the horrible records were on thinking, why do I fucking hate this so much? And yeah. um, I think it was perhaps the start. Um, of, you know, maybe thinking about being a music critic later. I wouldn't have said that at the time. I was six, for God's sake. But I so think the thumbs was... up and the thumbs down, you, you pretty much invented the YouTube rating system. <laughs> but I think a lot of people did that. You'd kind of, when the chart run down, you'd have a thumbs up for artists that you like, a thumbs down for people that you didn't. And me and my sister would argue about it and all that. But yeah. And where were your parents at the time, Neil? My parents were somewhere, probably in the room. Um, but... Um, it really, really absorbed me, Top of the Pops, um, from that age onwards for a long, long time. Um, it was, the, you know, you had to be there every Thursday night to watch it. Um, I think I stopped watching it 
Um, about 91, I think. I stopped watching it as sort of regular weekly thing when I moved out of home. But um, and, and, and that was 91. That was the time when they had the relaunch and they had they stopped using DJs, I think, as presenters. And mm. they just got this coterie of kind of young dipshits to present it. And I think I stopped <laughs> watching it then and I started getting into that habit of only watching it when I thought somebody that I liked was going to be on it. But for a good, you know, 15 years, I think I, I watched it fairly solidly every week. This episode takes us right back to April the 12th, 1979. Interesting time, I think. I actually think 1979 is one of the two years that's in with a shout of being the greatest music in pop ever. Whether this episode's going to bear out that theory, I don't know. But I really reckon that that just immediate post-punk period, 79 to 81, 81 being the other really killer year, I think, for pop music. Mm. You can uncharitably say it's because... punk was fizzling out or you know that it was mutating into more interesting things um i think has a lot to do with how great it was and for me it's this last period of innocence it's a kind of last knockings Mm. i actually believe the 80s began in july 1979 when tube army um appeared on top of the pops with our friends electric that is sort of of year year zero of the 1980s it's not Mm. 1980 itself neil being a six-year-old you've not really worked out what you like yet well, of course, and I was dimly aware of all these sort of genres and stuff. It was, like Pricey says, just pop music, and you responded to it, um, mm. you know, depending on all kinds of different things that, 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 that could spark you off as a kid. Um, it does feel, watching that episode, that it's co- not, not the arse end of things, but it feels like punk has kind of blown itself out. Yeah. And that something is about to happen. Yeah. Um, and in the, you know, the pop bands that are British that you see on this show, they are kind of re- not relics of the past, but they're certainly made by older people in a sense. And, and it feels like a time when the charts were waiting for a kind of new, I was going to say new wave then, but a kind of <laughs> a, a new group of British bands to take what punk did and what post-punk did somewhere else. And I think Price is right. It, the 80s probably did start halfway through the night yeah, through 1979 as opposed to starting you know strictly in 1980 you don't get that many hints of what was to come in mm-hmm. 1881 from this episode it, 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 yeah. it could have been an episode that came from any of the sort of three years previously in a sense you don't get any sense of new romantics or anything like that no. on the horizon but clearly that was all you know just about to break So, what was in the news on April the 12th, 1979? Well, Ugandan radio has announced that Idi Amin is fleeing the country. Iran has just voted with a 98% majority to become an Islamic Republic. Rod Stewart's got married to Alana Hamilton. And there's a general election campaign with an incompetent leader of the Labour Party against a cunt bitch leader of the Tory Party. Oh, how things have changed. But the big news this week is the British Rock and Pop Awards were on the night before, sponsored by Radio 1, The Daily Mirror and Nationwide, and presented by Kid Jensen and Bob Wellings. Do you remember that one? So this was a pre-Brits Awards then, I guess. Pretty much so, yeah, pretty much so. Best single of 1978. 78? One answer each. I mean, what was big that year? You had stuff like Summer Nights. It's all Grease soundtrack Mm. stuff. Wasn't it? That was that's what was big in the charts in '78. It was. I'm guessing it wasn't Blimey. anyone um, young. No, and it was actually like Paul M- Paul McCartney or somebody. No, it was Baker Street Ooh, by Jerry Rafferty. Well, all right. Best album. <laughs> I ain't got a clue. 
It was out of the blue by ELO. Good choice. Yeah. Strong album. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Best male singer. Rod Stewart. Best male. Um, Paul McCartney. Leo Sayer. Uh, Oh. I've got to give a shout out to my stepbrother there because uh, throughout the 70s uh, he was convinced that Leo Sayer was called the old sailor and I abs- <laughs> <laughs> I love that so whenever whenever I hear Leo Sayer record now see him on top of the pops he's always the old sailor to me which is actually a much better name for a pop star best female singer this is you know it's normally Annie Lennox isn't it it could have been Kate Bush I guess it is Kate well Bush well done right. uh, best group best group squeeze Electric Light Orchestra again. The Bee Gees. Oh. The Daily Mirror Readers Award to a singer. Daily Mirror Readers, which is going to comprise some old folks as well. It is, yeah. It could be... A British male singer. Well, yeah, I'm going to say Rod Stewart. I'm going to say, um, because he was just omnipresent um, all the time, Paul McCartney. No, no, Ian Jura. Whoa. Bloody hell. That's not bad, is it? And the nation... And the Nationwide Golden Award was given to a band. <laughs> You've got no chance getting this one. Nationwide, Nationwide Golden Gold. Award. Bloody hell. What Brotherhood of Man. Um, Smokey. The Baron Knight. No. <laughs> yes. They were huge in my school, though, to be fair. Everybody loved yes. those songs. You know, yeah. um, that that one that was um, a piss take of uh, the Brotherhood of Man's Angelo is uh, Anne and Joe yes. rumming away together <laughs> on their motorbike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone knew every word to that. On the cover of this week's NME is the Mod Revival, some bloke on a scooter. And on the cover of Smash Hits is Jimmy Purser. The number one LP is Greatest Hits Volume 2 by Barbara Streisand. In the US, the number one single is I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. And the number one LP is Minute by Minute by the Doobie Brothers. Bloody hell. So, what were we doing in 1979? Neil will establish that you're six and sticking your thumbs up and down. Simon, we're about the same age, aren't we? We're still at junior school. Well, let me tell you, I was at a minor private school in the south of England. Now, yeah, let me tell you how this happened. You're thinking, oh, good old salt of the earth, working class, pricey, grew up with no, without, you know, two Peter rubbed together, ends up in a private school in England. So I better explain myself. Um, First of all, we were not posh by any means, okay? Um, But my mum, uh, when I was a kid, uh, my parents were divorced. In fact, both of them had been divorced twice by this point. Um, And I was living living with my mum. I know it's, you know... Get, get the world's smallest violin out and all of that. Um, my mum uh, at this point had gone through teacher training and um, there was no work in South Wales. She couldn't get a job there. So she saw this advert for a, a job in this uh, prep school in Sussex in a village called Warning Lid. Um, and, uh, and she got it. And the deal was that I had to go with her. And it was a real eye-opener. I was there for two years. It was, it was brutal, authoritarian draconian with kind of arbitrary justice if i won't even call it justice it was just arbitrary physical attacks um by teachers on pupils uh and um yeah it it was it was a real case of seeing how the other half lived for me and uh you know figuring out why the upper classes are as kind of cold and cruel as they are they're bred that way in order to rule That's why they're the ruling Mm. class. They are Uh taught how to rule by being that brutal and by accepting brutality as normal. Um, 
Yeah. Obviously, I went to a, a comprehensive school after that, where brutality was also rife, but that was pupil on pupil. That's fine. <laughs> uh, that was kind of consensual brutality. So, um, and the other thing about this school, this school in Sussex was pop music was pretty much banned. So pop music, Whoa. yeah, yeah. So pop pop music attained this kind of. Uh, power of you know when 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 you see these things like footloose or back to the future or even the the, the queen the queen musical we will rock you where pop music is kind of this revolutionary force that you know you almost have to smuggle mm. music in that's how it was i remember um sunday uh, evenings um me and a couple of other kids um sneaking off to um some bushes in the school grounds to listen to the top 40 countdown and record and oh, yeah yeah and that. record bits of it um but occasionally as a treat if we were good we were allowed to watch top of the pop so i've got this weird kind of intermittent wow. memory of of this stuff so to me pop music uh even more than it does for the average teenager had this power this kind of glimpse into this promised land beyond the cage that you're kept in uh, yeah no for for me it was also part of a it was the first sort of time that I realized that my understanding of pop music and my my parents understanding pop music was totally different watching top of the pops a recurrent thing my mum always used to say anyone who appeared on top of the pops with dark glasses she'd say he's on drugs (laughs) or she's on drugs it was just her interpretation of it And, and of course me and my sister were like no he isn't no he isn't um, and she was probably right, but, but <laughs> I, I wanted to keep, you know, pop music's not an innocent thing, but as as our thing, I did. I resisted her interpretation of it. I remember even watching Queen or, or something on top of the pops, and her saying, you know, seventy nine, eighty, I think, her saying, "Oh, he's gay," and, and me understanding what gay meant, but just refuting that um, that she couldn't guess that from just looking at these people. But she was probably substantially correct in everything she said about <laughs> these pop stars. But pop was mine and my sister's, not hers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I wanted to keep it as ours to interpret, not my parents. So what else was on telly this day? Well, BBC One has already had clay pigeon shooting with Jackie Charlton and Ian Botham on Pebble Mill at one. <laughs> Tomorrow's World has just looked at a new sophisticated phone and done a feature on champion lettuce growers. BBC Two's running a repeat of When the Boat Comes In and Someone's Been Mugged on Emmerdale Farm on ITV. Oh, God, the problems of the modern world. Half that stuff sounds like it was being pitched by Alan Partridge to Tony Hayes. <laughs> yes, it really does. Hi, everyone. We're here again. It's got to be good. We're running with a chart. It's the chart rundown and three degrees. Top of the Pops have scrapped whole lot of love for the moment and any semblance of opening credits. And we go straight into Peter Powell, who's wearing a furry gold jacket over a Radio 1 t-shirt, excitedly announcing the top 30 rundown. He's, um, Peter Powell, I, th- I think, you know, influential in as much as uh, the Bruno Brookses and Gary Davises and, 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 and Mark Goodyear's. I think they were very much... In his ilk, he was a little bit different than the other Radio 1 DJs. But I remember, mm. you know, when the U-Tree stuff was kicking off a few years ago. And of course, everyone started their own sort of U-Tree sweepstake. Yes. Um, me and my wife were amazed that Peter Powell never made an appearance or, or never got picked up on that. He is a really? creepy fucker. And um, it, my wife remembers him actually doing a, a, a disco tour of clubs, just DJing with Kid Jensen in 79, mm. sponsored by Nescafe, I think. <laughs> right. Um, 
so um, but I mean ample opportunities for him for, for you tree type shenanigans mm. um, but yeah he never got picked up um, throughout this episode maybe he never did anything Neil perhaps so perhaps so I mean <laughs> clearly clearly maybe he didn't but throughout this episode there's something a little off a little creepy about Powell and I, I find that repeatedly whenever I see him on TOTP I'm glad Neil said that right because um, I remember uh, well, there's two things I remember about Peter Powell. First of all, that there was this kind of confusion and this myth going around that he invented the stunt kites you could buy, you know, the Peter Powell. Yes. <laughs> and it, it was ages before I realised it wasn't him. But the other thing I really remember about Peter Powell is um, my dad, uh, when he was on top of the box, uh, saying about Peter Powell, Peter Powell's a perv. And I didn't know what a perv was. So I said to my dad, <laughs> what's a perv? And he said... Oh, don't worry about it. And I just, I let it go. I, I let it go, right? But for years, it kind of bubbled away in my subconscious. Why did my dad think Peter Powell was a perv? What did he mean by that? And as Neil has pointed out, throughout this episode, we do see just kind of, there's, there's two things. First of all, he's trying to be, he's desperately trying to be cool. He's trying to be this kind of hip young guy. Yeah. But also there is just this kind yeah. of edge of creepiness that keeps surfacing again and again in the episode. Well, born in Stalbridge. Peter James Bernard Powell became a disc jockey at the age of 19 when he was the first voice heard on BBC Radio Birmingham in 1970. He had a three-month stint on Radio 1 in 1972, then moved to Radio Luxembourg before returning to Radio 1 in 1977. At this point in time, he's got the Saturday mid-morning slot on Radio 1. Nowadays, he's running a management company and has had Anton Deck, Darren Day, Philip Schofield, Piers Morgan, Richard and Judy and Simon Cowell on his books, meaning that he's very minted and he's the main reason why ITV is so shit nowadays. <laughs> he's not short of a bob or two. You're not going to see Peter Powell kind of like rummaging around a skip. No, but I mean, the, the only thing that kind of ameliorates my repulsion for him is that, is that I, f- I feel slightly sorry for him. I mean, the poor fucker ended up married to Anthea Turner. <laughs> well, yes, and, I did, yes. And, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the kind of permanent fixed optimism of him about everything oh yeah um probably went well with anthea turner at the start of their relationship but uh, but i'm guessing i'm guessing towards the end of their relationship um my <laughs> god the arguments must have been fucking spectacular they yes. must have been uh, there must be some really <laughs> ugly scenes over at their house um shame there was no fly on the wall documentary about it when she got blown up in that stunt that went wrong do we think that like peter power might have been behind it some kind of revenge attack? he had the power he could he have pulled the strings. <laughs> he could do. I mean, one thing that struck me about Peter Powell, he was absolutely enthusiastic about everything that was on top of the pops. He'd kind of do a little jump uh, when a band had finished, and he'd be like, oh, hey, that was kind of amazing. Yeah, I, I can just imagine, I don't know, a monkey banging on a saucepan for three minutes, uh, Gigi Allen shitting himself on the stage and then rolling about in it, um, screwdriver... <laughs> Um, anything Peter Powell would always have something enthusiastic to say about it, and he's he's the start of something. I think. I mean, I, there's something about his voice. Um, whereas other presenters at Top of the Pops sort of emphatically had British accents, I guess there's hmm. something horribly transatlantic about Peter Powell's voice. There's yes. something in between British and American. So you, you imagine that if he was saying the word splitting, he would say splitting. <laughs> yes. There's, there's this kind of thing about his voice and I, I think that was sort of perhaps a careful move on his part to make himself you know open to foreign markets or something mm. but clearly had, he, he always had his eyes on a bigger prize I guess 
So Peter Powell excitedly introduces the top 30 rundown. We're going to be running with the rundown to the runner by the three degrees. Formed in Philadelphia in 1963, the Three Degrees spent the 60s as a nightclub act who released a few records before signing to Philadelphia International in 1973. Had a string of hits in the UK from 74 to 76. Uh, they took a two-year break, signed to Ariola Records and began working with Giorgio Moroder and went a bit disco. This is a follow-up to Woman in Love, which got to number three and it's currently at number 10. It's a bit of a tune, isn't it? I've forgotten how good it is. It's one of these tracks that turns up on kind of KTEL mm. roller disco compilations or whatever. And, you know, you, you don't even yes. don't even sort of uh, let, let the needle get that far. But what a banger it is. It's, I've, you know, of, 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 all, of all the other stuff in the mm. show, it's, it's probably in the top three for me. It's up there, yeah. It's a corker. I remember having it on um, one of those shitty chart compilations that all I remember about it was it had a massive boxing glove on the front of the sleeve with smash hits or something <laughs> written on the boxing glove. But yeah, it's a corker. The thing is, the rundown and the whole episode, I would say, there's something about it that's kind of, um, you know, winter discontenty um, that you can tell the audience, when it gets to the audience, sorry, are so thin on the ground, being harried around like concentration camp victims, just, just kind of being made to look like a crowd and sound like a crowd even though clearly what's going on in the studio is, is not actually that many people being there. I know it's just from looking at the rundown itself. You say that like punk was, you know, fizzling out, but maybe 79 is the year when punk actually happens because mm. you've got Susie and the Banshees, Generation X, you've got M, who are kind of a new wave synthy thing. Uh, you've got the Cars, who kind of skinny tie American version of it. Sham 69, Lena Lovitch, Elvis Costello, The Jam... Um, Sex Pistols twice um, and Squeeze. So, you know, this is actually when punk mm. slash new wave is probably at its commercial peak. I don't know. Yeah, and uh, I think because it's its commercial peak, it's probably why a lot of old punks would say that was the year it, it all fucked up. Um, you know, that, that that's the year, I yeah. guess, when people were selling photographs of themselves with Mohican haircut, haircuts posing with policemen in Trafalgar Square for Japanese tourists and stuff. It's the moment it got commodified. But yeah. there's still some great records being made that could be called punk, I would say, in 79. The other thing to say about that rundown is um, you've, you've still got that element of music for granny. So obviously, you know, you've, you've, got, uh, Neil, you've got Neil Diamond who are going to come to. But the number one single, Art Garfunkel, did you clock the photo, the photo of him? He's doing pistol fingers in his mouth. Yes. What's going on there? I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, we will come to that record and what, what a dark and grim record it is. But he's doing a bit of a sort of Kurt Cobain pistol fingers in his gob. It's really unsettling. But of course, the other two things about the, the three degrees at the time, they appeared at Prince Charles's 30th birthday party and there were rumours abounding that Sheila Ferguson was having an affair with him. And of course, there was that amazing photo of him with Cyril Regis, Laurie Cunningham and Brendan Batson on a, on a training ground at West Brom. From the days before Ron Atkinson was racist. That's right, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they put out a record, didn't they? There was this West Bromwich Albion Calypso. Do you remember that? No, no, oh, really? Oh, yeah, check it out, seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was... Is it as good as Mike Reed's Calypso? Oh, man. <laughs> no, well, nothing nothing can compete with the Reed, you know. Uh, um, you know. Is it as good as the Leeds United Calypso, though? There was a Leeds United Calypso? Yes, in the, in the early 60s. To celebrate Jamaican independence, no doubt. 
So the runner would stay at number 10 for two more weeks before dropping down the chart. The next single, Jump the Gun, failed to make the top 40, but the single after that, My Simple Heart, would reach number three at the end of the year. And they were pretty much done as uh, as a group. Um, Sheila Ferguson nowadays claimed that she could have gone there with Prince Charles as he was clearly up for it, uh, but she didn't want to because he was a right slag and the UK would never have gone for a black queen. Our loss. She'd have made a fucking brilliant queen, wouldn't she? The first band up have been fortunate enough to have been given their own American-style neon road sign, meaning they don't have to be introduced by an excited Peter Powell. It's Light of the World. Formed in London in 1978, Light of the World were a core of three jazz-funk musicians backed up with a rotating cast of guest musos. This is their debut single, Swing In, and it's currently at 75 in the charts. 70 fucking five. What's it doing on top of the pops? You can tell they're British, first off. Really bad dental care. And yes. really bad teeth. Pretty poor dancing. <laughs> um, noticeable thing is it starts almost exactly like this little wobbly bass note at the beginning. It starts almost exactly like the breakdown in Atomic by Blondie. Um, and I'm sure we'll mention Blondie later. But um, they're sort of going for it majorly. But it, it's the start of that fiction in Top of the Pops from both the band and the crowd. You can, you know, the applause at the end starts before the actual applause of the audience. And um, it feels like, you know, both the band and the crowd are engaged in this kind of let's let's make it look like a show. Um, it's not really a show. I love watching the audience in this clip. This is one particular boy in the front row who looks 50-50 baffled and disgusted by the whole thing. <laughs> and, and I kind of know where he's coming from because um, they've, got, they've got a great energy, but it's not much of a song, is it? And uh, like Neil says, you can tell they're British, but for different reasons, because Britain was at this point, and, and we'll see another um, example of this later in the show, desperately trying to kind of catch up with what America was doing in terms of soul mm-hmm. and funk. Mm-hmm. And here they are, this kind of jazz soul funk yeah. band. And they're really going for it, but just the song isn't there, and it's just not quite right. You know, British black music, I guess, was still like four or five years behind Yes, where American black music was. I mean, it's a dead giveaway that they're called Light of the World. I'm guessing they're named after the Cool and the Gang track or the Cool and the Gang album. That's exactly right, sir. Well done. So, you know, it has that Cool and the Gang vibe of things like um, things that they did earlier on in their career around about 1975, 1976. It's a dance track. But it's mm. absolutely not a disco track. There's no sort of trace of disco in it. It's it's pure jazz funk. Like Pricey yes. says, the only sort of great bit I think is that really nasty, gnarly kind of wah wah bass that's on near the end. Um, but there's fuck all to it. Hasn't really got a hook. Hasn't really got a chorus. And it's kind of like just a loose limbed kind of jam. And I fucking hate music like that. The single would jump up to number forty five, but go no further. And the band carried on until 1981 after having a couple of singles that scraped the arse end of the top 40. But the original members changed their name to Beggar and Co. Had a number 15 hit with Somebody Help Me Out in 1981. And of course, backed Spandau Ballet on chant number one. Yes. What a tune. You see, you've joined a party. That's Light of the World and Swinging. Award winner last night on Total Pops Tonight of 14, Kate Bush, 
ว้าวอันเอ็กซิทเตอร์พีเตอร์พาวพอร์ตส์เอาท์ที่เราเพิ่งจบการแต่งงานก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี้ก่อนหน้านี
out. There was something creepy about that. Um, it's astonishing the way that when you're a little kid, the tiniest little thing can set you against somebody. <laughs> I've had a real animosity towards Shack Attack for a long, long time. Yeah. And I couldn't locate why. And my sister reminded me that I was watching Top of the Pops, I think 82, I think it was. Um, and there was a look the keyboard player gave the camera that really angered me <laughs> as a nine-year-old. There was something about it. He looked too happy or something. And because of that look, I didn't like Shack Attack for two years. Didn't listen to their music, just didn't like him. And I think it was the same with Kate Bush. When uh, In 1979, the Frank Langella version of Dracula came out. And I remember the trailers being on the telly, the vampire <laughs> women scaring the fucking shit out of me. And there was something about Kate Bush's... The, the bit when she opened her eyes, I couldn't watch it. I had mm. to turn away. It seemed like it was almost too much. Because yeah. we weren't so suffused with pop from everywhere... Little images would absolutely stick in your head. And, yeah. and kind of that wow video that's shown, it's just really her against the black backdrop. And, and that in itself was kind of scary. I used to go to uh, the supermarket um, sometimes in 79, and there was a copy of Stephen King's Carrie on the right. bookshelf. And I just used to walk past it to look at it and get scared because mm. um, it was just a scary shot of her face covered in blood. Um, you know, on a black background. And I, I, I might be sort of going a bit too deep into my psychology here, but I feel that the Kate Bush's image, you know, white skin, red lips, black background, mm. had a similar kind of horror style effect on me at that young age. I mean, let's let's talk about the video because do you know that the BBC actually censored the video? Um, it looks like they freeze-framed it with the Vaseline line, so you can't see a slap in her ass. Um, yes, they did. That's exactly what they did. They put a black box over her ass, uh, so we can't see a slap in it when she says he's too busy hitting the Vaseline. No way. I always misinterpreted the line because I always thought the line "he's too busy hitting the Vaseline" was actually "he's too busy licking the bottle clean." So I always <laughs> took it that she was singing the song about an alcoholic actor, and no, he was. Uh, he liked his bum sex. <laughs> but, I mean, lyrically, it seems like she's got really kind of rapidly tired of fame after presumably like her emergence the year before. Yeah. She's got quite quickly cynical about it all. Um, yes. it, it's kind of almost like a song that, that you'd expect somebody older, perhaps who's been in a career for a long time to write. Because yeah. it's about the kind of, it's about the emptiness of kind of congratulation after shows and things like that. Yeah. Um, um, so it, it's a really a, a grown-up song for such a young person to write. Yeah. Um, and perhaps that's why I didn't respond to it initially, but I've come to love it in the years gone. Uh, another thing we've got to mention that is it is one of two records in this week's chart that name-checks the Sweeney. Which is the other one? Oh, Sweeney's doing 90 because they've got nowhere to go. Yes! Oh, <laughs> Call for Cats by Squeeze. No, can I, <laughs> Al, I've just got one more memory I've got to get out of my system. Get yeah, it in, so mate. It's Get just, it in. Um, you know, she does that thing, and I think Faith Brown parodied it because um, Faith Brown's one of those impressionists, obviously, who has to announce who she's impersonating before she does it. Mm -hmm. But um, she did that thing of swinging her arms, you know, that arm swing. And yes. I've just remembered uh, my sister used to torment me because uh, she knew I was scared of Kate Bush. Um, by do it by singing the wow chorus and swinging her arms in, in that fashion. Um, she used to couple that with a game called Disco Lights, where she... <laughs> I was hoping you'd bring yeah. this in. Um, I've probably told you about it before, but 
Um, she used to yes. she used to sing a song called Disco Lights that she made up off the top of her head, um, and <laughs> f- flick the lights on and off, and then suddenly plunge the room into complete darkness and scream at the top of her lungs, <laughs> and it absolutely <laughs> terrified me. And, and because she'd combined that obviously with the Kate Bush impressions. For a long time, I was scared of Kate Bush, but I've obviously come to love her music since. But fear has a big part to play, I think, when you when you were a kid watching pop pop music, because uh, an awful lot totally. of artists spook the living hell out of you. So the single stayed at number fourteen the next week and the week after that before dropping down the chart. Top of the pops did nothing for her there, man. That's terrible. But follow up, them heavy people got to number ten, and then she was uh, impersonated by Pamela Stevenson on Not the Nine O'clock News. Great. Wow, 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 wow. Kate Bush, and she is just as lovely as you think she is, I tell you. And remember then? Well, remember Shorty Waddy. It's 27. Peter Powell is surrounded by five young girls. He kind of looks at the girls who are mm. next to him. They all look about 14. Yeah. And and he goes, wow, to each of them. And he directs one of his glances down at a girl's bum or a crotch or something. Mm. He was 28 at the time. It's just revolting. He also says, I think, yes. she is just as lovely yes. as you think she is. Yes. <laughs> he says, and she's just as lovely as you think she is, it, in a way which implies... He has some kind of secret knowledge, you know, of, of how lovely she is. Yeah. Like, what yeah. really? And then he asks us if we remember Show Waddy Waddy. Of course we fucking do. It's the late seventies; <laughs> they're on every month. <laughs> Formed in Leicester in nineteen seventy-three from two bands, Choice and the Golden Hammers. Show Waddy Waddy appeared on New Faces two months after their first gig, won their heat, and finished second in the All Winners final. Their debut single, Hey Rock and Roll, got to number two, and was kept off the top slot by The Streak by Ray Stevens, which started a run of 15 hit singles, including the 1976 number one, Under the Moon of Love. This is the follow up to Pretty Little Angel Eyes, which was the seventh top five single on the bounce, and it's up from number 35 to number 27. You know what? I really like Shawadi Wadi. Um, they they got this really pleasing kind of hooligan doo wop sound, um, and the, the the thing I get from them is obviously in the early seventies there was this kind of rock and roll revival with things like the film American Graffiti, and you had Shanana lingering on from the sixties. Mm. Then you had Grease the musical. You even had bands like Murder, and then you had um, the film That'll Be the Day. There was all this stuff going on. You know, um, it was yeah. probably the first time in pop history that pop was looking backwards uh and um of, of all of those bands i, I think shawazi was are really pleasing just they, they've got this um atmosphere about them that they are a fun party that that you want to be invited to they look like the in crowd well they don't look like the in crowd they look like your dads but they just got this yes. they just got this thing about them that they feel they feel popular does that make sense they feel like the popular kids or the popular grown-ups and yeah. i quite like the way that even though they're going for this kind of um uh, 50s vibe. Uh, Dave Bartram has got defiantly 1970s hair. He just hasn't. He just had. You yes. know, they, they they've got the kind of uh, neon or pastel coloured drape suits, but they just haven't gone that extra mile with the hair. He does look like he should be in some kind of American teen movie and uh, be a heartthrob called 
Corey or Blaine or something like that. I remember liking <laughs> yes. him. I remember liking him again for a sort of pointless reason, in a sense that I just really liked Dave Bartram's face. He just he was like someone's really handsome dad, um, and and I I really liked him. But the, the thing is with this appearance, um, is it me? It, but it seems like they, their miming is terrible. Yeah. Um, the guy in the blue isn't even trying. He's not singing the words. He's singing something. He's mumbling. And there's a weird bit. Where suddenly the crowd are on the stage and she wants yeah. to be in the crowd, and it just suddenly happens for three minutes, uh, three seconds rather. Um, and I don't know why they did that, but as again, the sort of illusion of a party that Top of the Pops always tried to create really, really crumbled. With this they one. they yeah. remind me of, um, they actually remind me of the slightly scary older kids in my town who were hooligans who wore, they wore double denim and stack heel boots and they were called the Bellites. They're called the Bellites because they're from Bell Street in Barry. Right. And uh, they used to hang around the local park singing Hey Rock and Roll and stamping on the wooden benches and trying to break the benches. <laughs> but it's a good song. Um, I think it was first a hit, wasn't it, for the Kalin twins mm. back in the 50s. The first set of twins to top the charts until the Proclaimers, actually. Really? Um, and... Produced, I think, by Mike Hurst. He used to work for Mickey Most and Andrew Lou Golden. First guy to record Mark Bolan. And the year before he did this hit for Shiwadi Wadi, he produced uh, Modern Priscilla, Scylla Black's disco album. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and later on, he, had, he started his own company, record company called Lamborghini Records. Right. Who, um, who signed Sam Fox. Um, and the poor side, he ended up producing Bell and Sebastian, I believe. Right. Um, but um, I think I think the reason that this stuff, and as we'll probably talk later about Racy as well, is mm. so popular, is because it, it uh, it's a reflection of, of of mums and dads' memories at that time yeah. in the seventies, and it feeds into a lot a few things as Price has mentioned the kind of whole Greece Happy Days thing, yeah, but also that that sort of stars on forty five, it's okay to just do old songs type stuff. I mean, it's odd when you think this is the year, I don't know, Metal Box came out. Yeah. But, um, like Racy, I think Shiwadi Wadi, uh, you know, it, it does go in 20-year cycles. The 70s look back at the 50s and the 80s look back at the 60s. Mm. They, the, the, the thing about the looking back to the 50s was that they were not really... You know, if, if you could say people like Amy Winehouse and that were looking back to the 60s to get some grit and authenticity in their music, mm. Racy and Shiwadi Wadi were looking back to the 50s really just for fun yeah, and for, for, for a kind of ephemeral thing. And that's fine. It, it's a fun record. The record stayed at number 17 and then dropped down the chart, breaking Shiwadi Wadi Wadi's... Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Leave, Leave that in. That in. The, the more, the yes. more Wadi's, the better. <laughs> that's the thing, though, Al. Also... They mention their own name in the song, didn't they? Of course they, they do, do yeah. Yes. The backing vocals, they repeatedly say shiwadi wadi, shiwadi wadi. Mm. Intentionally, no doubt. Oh, that's um, subliminal, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's almost like they're trying to make you buy the record while they're singing the record at you. They're cross-platform brand synergising. Mm. <laughs> the other thing about shiwadi wadi, of course, is that they do have a drummer with maybe the greatest name in pop. Um, last week, or la- last episode, we were talking about Ariel Bender of Mot the Hoople. Well, um, mm-hmm. the drummer in Shwadi Wadi, of course, Romeo Challenger. That is a fantastic <laughs> name for a drummer. And of course, um, I'm sure you're all aware yeah. of the urban myth going around that he was the father of Dion Dublin. Absolute bullshit. Yes. Uh, his, his dad was the mate of 
Dion Dublin's uncle or something like some really tenuous connection like that but because they're sort of that's like right. two black men from yeah. the East Midlands that somehow mm-hmm. uh, added up to, Not to, to it's you know it, it, it was as prevalent I think yeah. as the Bob Holness playing sax on Baker Street rumour that, that yes. rumour all of those rumours I've always believed pot rumours when, when I was told that Adamant was dead, I believed it. Follow-up, Sweet Little Rock and Roller got no higher than number 15, and they had six more minor hits until they were pretty much done as a chart act round about 1982. Hey, hits after hit after hit. Shiny Waddy, and remember then, silly thing, Legs & Co, no way, Sex Pistols! Peter Powell absolutely refuses to believe that Legs & Co are going to dance to the Sex Pistols, even though they did a routine to something else the previous month. Where do we start with this? Do we start talking about Legs & Co or do we start talking about the Sex Pistols? Well, if I could, I'd, I wouldn't mind talking about the Pistols. Because, um, yep. of course, le- much later on, got to never mind the bollocks and, and bodies and holidays in the sun and all the things that made them great. But I think this this actual video of you know legs and co dancing to them was my first experience of the pistols and a really tangible memory so punk mm. for me for a long time actually meant this and it meant the monks nice leg shame about the face which, <laughs> which is not a punk song of course but no. you know it, it's what you experience uh, legs and co had form didn't they dancing to piss uh, to punk stuff because i think they danced to mm. bank robber that year as well by the clash yes they did yes um uh, if I could just move on to talk about the song, um, for me it's a, uh, it's not good, and it's it's it sounds like a New York song that kind of needs a New York singer. I'd, I'd love to hear like David Johansson or the New York Dolls do it, but mm. um, it, it, it without Lydon, they're nothing really. Um, his voice is so, his voice is so essential to what makes Pistol songs work, and and Bill Price's production as well. Um, so essentially, this comes across as sort of not as good as the theme tube for Murphy's Mob, and, um, <laughs> the, and the lyrics are kind of worse, to be honest. They're terrible, aren't they? Well, one of two Sex Pistols singles in this top twenty. The cover of something else is currently at number eleven, and the third single after Johnny Rotten left the band. It's also the second single to be taken from the soundtrack of the great rock and roll swingle. But this version has Steve Jones on vocals instead of Paul Cook. Of course, it's two months after the death of Sid Vicious, and at the time of release, Steve Jones and Paul Cook are kicking around the idea of drafting in Jimmy Percy as the new vocalist of their next band. It's the highest climber in the top 40 this week, moving up to number seven from number 24. And of course, the reason that these songs are in the charts is Malcolm McLaren shamelessly cashing in on the whole thing, um, you know, post the death of Sid Vicious, with um, the film The Great Rock and Roll Swindle. Um, And... uh, um, similar to yeah. Neil, actually, I think the first Sex Pistols record I ever heard was also from that soundtrack. It was "I'm Not Your Stepping Stone," yeah. and it was in the in the picture sleeve that was basically the poster, uh, the great rock and roll swindle. Um, and uh, I, yeah. I've got to say, yeah, silly thing, it's not a great Pistols record, but I I just think I, Steve Jones is brilliant. I really like him. I think he, he might be my favourite Sex Pistol in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, he we, he weirdly rather than even more so than rotten or vicious he's the kind of loose cannon in the pistols if you look at them on the bill grundy show he's mm. the one 
who actually takes control of that situation yeah. and starts absolutely yeah. nailing Bill Grundy to the floor and just completely ripping the piss out of him. Also, um, I'm sure you've all heard uh, the, um, uh, the the Sun Product album where the Pistols, uh, uh, where Jones and Cook are, are in America being interviewed for local radio, and they just can't, they cannot yes. take the whole thing seriously at all. Every caller, if it's a female caller, no. they'll just go, "Have you got big tits? Have you got big tits?" Um, Have you got airy Jackie Dunno? <laughs> there, there's a, also a brilliant interview out there from uh, Australian telly, which is with uh, with Jones and Cook, but mostly Jones. Really, it's about twenty minutes long, and he's actually quite smart, you know, in in that kind of untutored yeah. working mm-hmm. class way. But he's just really, really sort of switched on, um, and not not in a sort of cartoon, not in a sort yeah, of cartoon punk cynicism sort of way. Um, the other thing about these two singles yeah. being in the charts at the same time is that. Um, Something else, uh, it uh, and silly thing is you need to look at the B sides. The B side of silly thing was who killed Bambi? Yeah, mm-hmm. Temple Tudor. Yeah. So first of all, I'm imagining um, Legs and Co somehow figuring out a routine to that track. And the <laughs> yes. other one, something else. The the flip side of something else was frigging in the rigging. Yes. Now frigging in the rigging <laughs> being. The classic record that when you're um, a teenager, you bring into school on the last day of term when yeah, you're allowed yeah. to play your own yeah, records yeah, yeah. to make all the other kids laugh. And, you know, <laughs> if, if, Legs, if Legs and Co. had tried to act that one out, you've got something for the dads right there, haven't Friggin you? in the Rigging is the first Sex Pistols song I ever heard. At my mate's house. Really? Yeah, it's a great rock and roll singer. He could have played me Anarchy in the UK. could have played me God Save the Queen. No, Friggin in the Rigging because it's... It's like, listen to this. It's yeah. got swearing on it. Yeah. You, you get things slightly wrong, don't you? I, I, I remember when um, I had uh, I'm Not Your Stepping Stone. I lent it to a mate of mine who decided he was a punk rocker. Right. And uh, <laughs> his dad had a bass guitar. So he learned how to play I'm Not Your Stepping Stone on this crackly old bass guitar. And he was convinced uh, that the lyrics went, you won't find me in your fridge of Jews. <laughs> and he, used to, he used to sing that at the top of his voice like it was some kind of, some kind of anti-Semitic punk rock anthem. Um, right. and, uh, <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never forget and um, and also he, he wanted to have green hair and, and we didn't have access to green hair dye but my mum happened to have some uh, green food colouring from my, my previous birthday where she'd done me a cake to look like a football pitch so we got the <laughs> remaining green <laughs> green food colouring and put it through his hair and it didn't work but it just ran down his face and made him look even more horrific than that front cover of uh, Stephen King's Carrie that Neil <laughs> referred to earlier I think I, think, uh, I can completely echo what you're saying about fr- frigging in the rigging is, is perhaps more important than people realise yeah. it, it did have that kind of hallowed secret vibe to it that a mm. few people knew about it a few people had it on tape and a few people had heard it and it was you know it was a shocking thing I never got to hear it nobody will play it to me mm. but um but I remember people going on about that song, Friggin' in the Rigging, far more than they go on about the things that are now officially the kind of rock history of the Pistols. Well, if I, um, back fr- then, if I'd have listened to Anarchy in the UK or God Save the Queen, I would have been really disappointed because there's no swearing yeah. in it. No yeah. talking about eels going up people's fannies or stuff like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Which is what punk's all about when you're that age. We should talk about the performance that Legs & Co. put in here. Yes, because we should. They're wearing these sort of pastel jackets and satin leggings. They basically look like the Pink Ladies from Greece or something like that. Yes. But they are sort of... They're sort of pogoing and they're sort of... Yeah, but there's, there's head shaking and kicking, isn't there? Yeah, and the first thing you see is one of them pulling, uh, putting a tongue out. Yes. And they're sort of pulling stupid faces, you that's, know. That's punk, you, mate. You half expect them to put that their thumb punk. on the end of their nose and <laughs> waggle their fingers at you. 
Yes. Because that's punk. And imagine the meeting. There must have been a meeting. I love stuff like this. Just sort of try and sort of uh, dial back a bit and rewind and, and imagine that before this was filmed there would have been a sort of choreographer's meeting with Flick Colby and maybe yes. Robin Nash or whoever's producing the show saying, right, you know, it's, it's a punk record. Here's what you've got to do. And they were sort of brainstorming ideas of, well, what's punk about? It's about sticking your tongue out, isn't it? And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wearing Very bow difficult. ties but not attaching them to shirts. It's, it, it, it's, I mean, I'm impressed with their ability to pogo in the heels that they're wearing. Definitely, yeah. Um, but but it's a recurrent thing whenever Legs and Co and, and later on the other dance troops got odd records or yeah. records that weren't things that were simple to dance <laughs> to, um, they would just pull stupid faces. I think there was one on the TOTP 83 recently. It was a Creatures song, um, you know, Susie and Co. And and it's just all, all that the dancers could think of to do was pull those, yeah, stupid, strange, wide-eyed faces. Right. Um so yeah, um, Flick Colby. But, but the thing is, uh, uh, it doesn't seem like a whole routine. It seems like it's cut together from about fifteen seconds of footage. Yeah, there's um, a lot because of freeze they frame ju- as they jump in the air. A isn't lot there? of freeze frame jumping in the air. Um, that image of people jumping in the air with spiky hair, uh, with their legs kind of tucked behind them, mm. um, as a silhouetted image. If you just add a pair of headphones to it, that is the flyer for every single shit um, rock night. Um, that I've ever been to (laughs) somebody in mid-air with headphones on or a guitar silhouetted jumping exactly like that so ahead of that I think both both the punks and the dads are going to be enormously disappointed by this routine aren't they yeah it ends up trying to please everyone and pleasing no one let's be let's be fair about that so silly thing would move up to number six the next week but no further the follow-up a cover of come on everybody would get to number three in june and there'd be two more releases long after the band were no more i think come on everybody was the biggest selling sex pistols record ever wasn't it i don't know about that but do you know what it's it's brilliant i i know we're meant to think okay it's a shameless cash in and you know it's, it's the so it's the arse end of the mm. Sex Pistols and it's Sid Vicious on vocals. It is it's just just the production of that. It is turbocharged. It's fantastic. I love it. If I'm if I'm reaching when I'm DJing, mm. if I'm reaching for a Pistols track, I'll often go with that one rather than one of the obvious ones because it just got it's just got this kind of propulsion to it. Yeah. Hey, thank you, legs. And two hits in almost as many weeks. Sex Pistols and Silly Thing. If I was Neil Diamond, I'd stay forever in blue jeans. He's doing okay at 26. Born in Brooklyn during the war, the pre-American chunk of the war in any case, Neil Diamond started his career as a songwriter in the early 60s and had his first successes when he wrote I'm a Believer and A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You for the Monkeys. His first UK chart success as a singer came in 1970 when he got to number three with Sweet Caroline. This is his ninth straight top 40 hit, the follow-up to the top five You Don't Bring Me Flowers, the duet with Barbara Streisland, and it's been stuck at number 26 for two weeks running. So the thing that strikes me about this, he goes on about being forever in blue jeans, which is pretty disgusting if you're not taking them off and washing them, but he's wearing black flares (laughs) while he's singing and a spangly shirt. Yeah, he's wearing flares and a kind of silver taffeta shirt as well. Man's a fucking hypocrite. But I love the idea that, you know, he's singing about forever in blue jeans as if blue jeans somehow symbolise his kind of carefree rock and roll youth. Um, when he yeah. is clearly not even singing to the mums and dads, but to the the, the nans and granddads. And yeah. um, 
I, I actually I went to see Neil Diamond at the O2. Oh God, must be about ten years ago now, and um, mm. I I found the merchandise store really interesting because there was um, a T-shirt with a depiction of him as a young man with like long hair and looking like a bit of a hippie. And I, I think that maybe that that idea that he, he wants to let everyone know that he is coming from this place of being vaguely countercultural. I think that maybe informs mm. informs this song in a way. And also, um, he's mm. got this singing style, hasn't he, of, uh, of trying to make every line passionate. He growls at the end of every line. And it's, yeah. it's just a bit much, isn't it? Um, it I, I think if you make every line in a song sound passionate, it means that no lines in a song sound passionate. Exactly. I mean, I think because it's a, a live performance video, that's why his vocal is like really ragging and kind of like like Simon says a bit but you know he's a bit gnarly on it um, and I think probably the recorded version isn't like that but I mean what the live concert footage reveals the old stereotypes about black people having natural rhythm um, the, the old white people stereotype of them having a natural lack of rhythm um, is vaguely true nobody in that audience can manage to clap in time yes. um, which, which is odd because because the song uh, it, there's a frequent thing that people say about music I think that it's kind of troglodyte music or simple music this is music that a paramecium could dance to you don't even have to dance you could just shift your weight from foot to foot <laughs> to this music it's got the same kind of umpar feel that um, Opus would exploit later on in the 80s in Live is Life. It's got that kind of <laughs> same beat to it. But um, the audience can't even manage that. It's the same simplicity, I, I guess, you'd kind of want in music for ice skating. Yeah. Or that Cliff Richard exploited at Wimbledon. Yes. That kind of simple foot-to-foot kind of thing that anyone sh- could surely be rhythmic to. But this audience... Um, manage not to it's granny claps isn't it it's it's granny claps they're they're clapping on the on beat not the off beat that's the telltale Mm -hmm. thing it's it's old people's home clapping straight between the eyes (laughs) you've got (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I I grew I grew up in an old people's home and I remember we used to have um, sort of music and movement type sessions uh, where somebody would sit in the middle and throw a beach ball to all the old folks and it used to be kind of um Neil Diamond type music that, that well Neil Diamond himself actually that would be on I, I disagree though I don't think this is yet just nans and grands music I think this is still mums and dads yeah, music okay. and consequently that, that that's why it's kind of in the charts and you can tell it's mums and dads music when mm. you're a kid because he looks like an old yeah. bloke he was 38 years right. old, which is just a kid from where I'm standing now. But yeah, yeah. at, but at then... that point, he would have seen impossibly ancient. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. And he's got a comb over. It's not even yeah, a comb yeah. over. It's, it's, it's that kind of Brillo pad comb over like Andrew Neil. The, 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 the whole thing about Forever in Blue Jeans, I find that a bit unpleasant. Um, it, it, it's got this kind of Eagles take it easy yeah. vibe. Um that's not nice. And I don't like the line, um, uh, the one that says, honey's sweet. But it ain't nothing next to baby. Yeah, what the treat. fuck is that I don't about? Like that line, it makes me think of middle-aged Bavarians in nappies getting fed on Euro trash. <laughs> um, it's just not pleasant. And you're right about the the idea of how bad he must have smelled if he was forever in blue jeans. Because do you remember the Kooks with that song? Uh, no, was it, it was the View. Do you remember the View with that song? Same jeans. I've had the same jeans on for six days now. I'm going to go to a disco in the middle of town. This is about ten years ago. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. And we all laughed at them and thought, well, you disgusting, grotty little horrible oiks and and i they were comparatively kind of fastidious about their cleanliness compared to neil diamond of all people (laughs) yeah yeah and you just uh, you know when you nowadays of course when you think of the term forever in blue jeans you think of jeremy clarkson so you know nobody needs that and i remember hell's angels greasers and rockers in the late 70s had this thing of pride that they would never wash their jeans that you know their their denim jacket Mm. and their jeans would actually be held together by the dirt and by the motorcycle grease on them yes so yeah i don't know i don't know if i'm getting out with neil diamond you know his probably ironed yeah he probably did go for the clarkson corby trouser press look on 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 the on the blue jeans he was wearing (laughs) so the song would rise to number 16 and then stay at number 16 the following week and go no higher neil diamond would spend the rest of the year starring in the remake of the jazz singer with Laurence olivier and paul nicholas and won the first ever golden raspberry award for worst actor (laughs) <laughs> Fucking hell, Paul, Lawrence Olivier and Paul Nicholas, those two go together so well, don't they? The follow-up, 19 months later, Love on the Rocks, was his last top 20 hit in the UK, but he'd rack in the royalties when UB40's version of Red Red Wine got to number one here in 1983, and in the US five years later. It's Neil Diamond and Forever in Blue Jeans. All in white, she is all in white. Do me a favour, say hello to the fellas back around the wall on their top. Oh, I like it. This is racy. Some girls do, some girls don't. They're at number three and doing okay. Peter Powell has availed himself of the pick of the litter in the audience. A girl in white dungarees and matching shirt and gets her to blow a kiss for the male viewing audience. Did you notice how hands-off he was? He's got his arm round her, but he actually sticks his hand out on the other side as if to go, look, I'm not trumping her. (laughs) I I just noticed how incredibly shy she seems and the kind of contrast between that and the clockwork orange look that she's got going on there. Yes. She's got white dungarees and a white top Mm. underneath. Um, But yeah, Yeah. she she does seem absolutely terrified of the camera. And as we've said in in a previous podcast, I, I, I do miss that thing of people being a little bit camera shy, uh, which they're just not anymore. And Peter Powell introduces Racer. Formed in Western Supermare in 1976 and originally called Alive and Kickin', Racy were discovered on the Somerset pub circuit by Mickey Most after a fan tracked down where he lived and gave a demo tape to his wife and they signed to Rack Records in 1978. 
After their first single, written by members of Smokey, flopped in 1978, they were linked up with Nicky Chin and Mike Chapman, otherwise known as Chinny Chap, the renowned hitmakers for Sweet, Mud and Susie Quattro. This is their third single. It's a follow-up to the number three hit, Lay Your Love On Me, and has jumped up eight places from number 11. First of all, does the panel know which band this song was originally offered to? I think um, originally offered to Blondie. Or they were originally thinking of it for Blondie. Cause, yes, um, that's Chapman right. Obviously, obviously ended up producing um, Parallel Lines and producing a few Blondie albums, actually. I'm, I'm utterly fascinated by Chin and Chapman. I, I, think, I know they're yeah. renowned, as you said, Al, but I think that they're really unheralded. Um, mm. The kind of early sweet singles, they're, they're just fucking astonishing records. Yes, they and, are. And just brilliantly yes, written are. things. And um, the way that Ch- Mike Chapman work with with blondie the way he forced them to be good basically and kind of forced them to get into the habit of actually doing loads and loads of takes of songs to get parallel lines absolutely spot on i suspect chapman was the, the if not the brains of the operation the, the 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 main sort of figurehead of it in a sense chin by that time according to chapman anyway was going off the rails deep into alcoholism and, and the rest really of it. but but um, uh, you know the Chin and Chapman songwriting partnership. I, I, I think is, is, a, is a really, really great run. That is why I can't understand why Racy parted company with Chin and Chapman. I think later on in that year, after the album yeah. that, that this song came from, why would you do that? I mean, they're a guaranteed hit factory, and I think I suspect them leaving the sort of Chin and Chapman stable was 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 what fucked them. Um, yeah. the, um, and I wonder as well how Blondie could have done this. I mean, presumably, would would the gender yeah. have been changed? Um, some boys don't. I don't know how she would have necessarily sung it. Simon, where does this song stand alongside other Chinny Chap tunes? You know what? First of all, with or without Chin and Chapman, um, Rack Records, what a stable that was. Um, so obviously, you've mm. got you've got Murd and Hot Chocolate, Susie Quattro, and Racy. And I've got to say, Racy sounds brilliant in your accent, uh, Al. <laughs> Just the name, but. Thank um, you. Also, um, does anyone remember the band Exile? They had a one one hit called "Kiss You All Over." That was on Rack, and, yeah. uh, and probably uh, the last big act I can remember on Rack would have been Kim Wilde. Um, but I've actually been in Mickey Most's office because they've kept it in the Rack Record Studio exactly as it was. It's uh, you know, it's kind of like like the Mary Celeste of nineteen seventies pop, and it's it's fascinating just going in there. And uh, I, I think he's got one of those. Um, drinks cabinets that's actually a globe you know a uh, globe of the earth and you lift yeah. the lid and there's, there's one of the sale and century jobs yeah 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 but this song um some girls i've got i've got a really vivid memory attached to it and it goes back to the boarding school that i was in um you know how sometimes you'll hear a bit of one song and in your brain it'll run on to another song it'll become a, a sort of mashup uh, without any technology needed inside your brain well, yeah. um, I've got that with um, with Some Girls by Racy, because what happened was, uh, when I was at this boarding school in Sussex, um, there was this other kid there called uh, Rupert Fraser, who was actually, um, he was the younger brother of the now famous uh, TV and radio cleric Giles Fraser, um, and who also went, who also also went to that school, and, and as a bit of a, a, a sideline here, uh, Giles uh, went from the school uh, called Hollingbury, which he recently uh, talked about on Channel 4 News uh, in, in a piece about the uh, uh, brutality of toxic Christianity in, in, oh, uh, yes. in English schools. That's the, the school he was talking about is this school I was at. Giles Fraser went on from Hollingbury to Uppingham. Do we know who else went to Uppingham? 
Peter fucking Ooh. Powell. Oh my god. Everything is connected, boys. Everything is connected. But <laughs> the point is this: Giles's younger brother, Rupert. I remember when, uh, <laughs> indeed, when when some girls and remember then uh, were both in the charts. He right. he used to mash them together, and he'd he'd start singing. Some girls will, some girls won't. Some girls need a lot of loving, and some girls don't remember then, then, then. Oh! Yeah, and it really works. And every oh, time I hear then. either one of those songs now, that just that it's a, it's a ready-made mashup in my brain. Um, I, th- I think Racy or Race, if I'm going to do it your way, um, a really likable, <laughs> or not quite as likable as almost in the shawaddy waddy um, vein of of pure kind of showbiz pop without any pretensions to being cool. And I kind of enjoy the way that the singer guy looks like Gail Tilsley from Coronation Street. Yes, exactly, yes. (laughs) So the song would spend three weeks at number two and it went to number one in 12 different countries and it sold five million copies worldwide. But then the follow-up, Boy Oh Boy, got only as far as number 22, uh, and in 1980, the only single off their only LP, Smash and Grab, a cover of Run Around Sue, got to number 13 and they would never trouble the UK charts again. However, the album track Kitty was picked up by Tony Basil, renamed Mickey, and got to number two here and number one in the US in 1982. Terrific. Good time music. That's Racy, this week at number three, and Some Girls. And for me, this record is absolutely magic. It's the brass that really turns me on. It's Super Trap, 24, The Logical Song. Peter Powell excitedly introduces the logical song by Supertramp by saying that the brass really turns him on. This is what we were saying earlier about Peter Powell being just really surprisingly creepy because he's one of these uh, top of the pops presenters who, because he's untouched by U Tree, you sort of think, well, at least he's got that in his kind of you know credit column, and at least uh, you know yeah. uh, we we don't have to strike his episodes from the record and they still get repeated, but. There's something really quite yeah. unsettling about. I don't want to know what turns him on at all, whether mm, it's brass mm. or you know. It's uh, the way he it's says it, Kate Bush. Yeah, it's the way he says it. If, if, if he doesn't say it in a kind, of, it turns me on musically. He does say it in a kind of vaguely sexual way. That's just, um, uh, yeah, deeply unpleasant. Well, you wouldn't want to take him to a country pub, would you? Because <laughs> he'd just start rubbing himself up against the wall. <laughs> but this is the follow-up to give a little bit which got to number 27 in July of 1977, and it's the first single from the Breakfast in America LP, and uh, was based on singer Roger Hodgson's 10 years in a boarding school. Simon, you've already mentioned uh, that the hell of, uh, of schools like that. Uh, is this crying out to your very soul? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I served two years uh, in, in a boarding school as the only kid whose parents weren't paying the fees. Um so yeah. Oh nice. Yeah, um I, I was I was kinda like the novelty working class kid in the boarding school. Um so I, I don't know I don't know how that uh, fits in with Roger Hodgson. He was probably one of the standard uh, fee paying kids. Um I actually saw him before live perform live. Um I went to the concert for Diana in uh, two thousand and seven and uh Right. See th- there's this myth about Diana that she was the cool royal 
that, uh, you know, just because she was into Duran Duran, that she was like the young person's royal and all of that. But it turns out that she was a massive fan of Supertramp, and that's why uh, Roger Hodgson turned up um, at, at Wembley that day 10 years ago. Um, the, the way I think about Supertramp is this. Uh, we all know what math rock is. They're maths teacher rock. Yes. Because uh, in my... I, I remember being at school one day and uh, uh, our maths teacher uh, brought in a record uh, to assembly. And what it was, it was uh, not the logical song, it was Dreamer mm-hmm. by Supertramp, which uh, goes, Dreamer, nothing but a dreamer, but can you put your hands in your head? Oh, no. Because, you know, the, the teacher was trying to make this point to us. So, like, yeah, stop, day do, stop daydreaming about, you know, your, your, your stupid ambitions and stuff. You know, you've got to be practical. <laughs> and, you know, you've got to knuckle down and, and, and do your maths homework. You know, um, I love it when teachers uh, decide that, uh, that a rock record's got some kind of real meaning <laughs> and that they, they really want, want, to, want to impart that meaning to the kids. He was really intense about it. I remember the other band he was into was Barclay James Harvest. So oh, that Jesus. Gives you some idea of his taste. But, but um, had he not heard this song? Well, exactly. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I noticed the maths teacher was very quiet on the subject of the logical song. Uh-huh. Um, yes. You know, I'm, I'm trying to work out what exactly um, the, the, the two songwriter guys from Supertramp are complaining about here, about, uh, apart from some vague idea of, of, of them, this sort of disembodied they, probably meaning... Uh, the mm. parent generation or, or, or the man with capital letters trying to mould them you know uh, uh, acceptable respectable presentable a vegetable he sings here yeah oh yeah yeah think about it man <laughs> think about it um, and, and then uh, then of course the sax break comes in at, at which point we inevitably picture Peter Powell rubbing his thighs <laughs> yes. a la Vic Reeves yes Oh, oh, that sax! You know, in a kind of, kind of in the manner of um, of, of Blue Tulip Rose Reed at the start of "I'm Your Number One Fan," yes. his Mike Reed's voice yes. on the radio. You know, Peter Powell having some kind of saxgasm uh, at that point. Um, I can just imagine Anthea Turner playing the trombone on their wedding night. Ugh. Yeah, giving him some sexual healing. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, but Super Tramp, they're just so wet. They're, they're just the weediest, the wimpiest band yes. I can imagine. I just look at the state of them. They look like they've had, each one of them's had a bucket of Mazola cooking oil poured <laughs> over their heads. Yes. Just everything about it is completely fucking despicable. Um, it doesn't, doesn't even have the decency to um, be a kind of meaningful, pompous, pretentious, grown-up song. It's just saying, you know, we're kind of superior to this kind of juvenile chart pop that the rest of you are listening to yeah. and yet we haven't really got anything better than that yeah. either yes. it's just it's just it's just nothing the the list of kind of thing the rhymes in the song uh, they're just smug there's, it's just the stacking up of words that you wouldn't expect in a pop song um, that kind of rhyme with each other. I'm, I'm just surprised this was the lead-off single um, and not the title track, Breakfast in America, yeah. which, which I think was probably a bigger hit. Um, I've yeah. Sort of, yeah, Breakfast in America's all right, actually. That's a decent song. Yeah, yeah I don't mind. I, I've, I've never listened to the whole to the album. I've sort of tucked it away for. I suppose it should be for my current age, but I keep knocking it down five years down the line um, for when I've got a beard and a, a nice pair of reactor lights and I look like an estate agent. Um, is, is when I'll <laughs> when I'll get into them. But I remember once, this is a bit of a digression, but I was interviewing um, a metal band in New Orleans called Disturbed. I don't know if you remember them. Um, yeah, yeah. Gone to a bar, 
started the interview and I was I had about half an hour with him I think uh, from which I was meant to get a cover feature but five minutes before the interview I was chatting with their manager and it emerges that he's um, Doogie from Supertramp um, which um, right. totally blew my mind I wasn't a massive Supertramp fan but he just starts idly chatting about kind of touring in the 70s and within that five minutes he was just immensely more fascinating than anything fucking disturbed had to say. And kind of straight after the interview, <laughs> I just ploughed back into speaking with him. The band were not happy. Um, but yeah, I, I, I completely echo what Simon says. There, there is a sort of smuggery about this record. And, and there's a smugness about the lyrics. The stacking up of those rhymes um, mm. uh, gets on my tits eventually. Um, but Breakfast in America, great tune. But I'm not sure I'll dig out the rest of the album until I'm, until I'm uh, a few years older yet that's because you're a radical liberal (laughs) fanatical (laughs) so the logical song will move just one place up the following week but soar to number seven the week after which was their highest placing in the charts follow up breakfast in america would get to number nine in the summer of 79 but they wouldn't get any more sexy top 40 action until 1982 with it's raining again Terrific, that's uh, Super Trap and the Logical Song. And this is Mr. James Percy, no less, with Shadow 69 and Questions and Answers. Peter Paul goes, whoa, whoa possibly because of the hot brass action, bemusing the two male audience members next to him. That always, you know, struck me as odd when they had actually blokes next to uh, the, the presenters. Yeah, he's not patting any of their asses or looking at their crotches. But um, no. by the sounds of it, yeah, he needs to go and wipe his cock on the curtains or something. Yes. But um, I'm interested to know what Pricey <laughs> thinks of the Sham 69 tune, because I know that in sets that he's played DJing, that you play Hersham Boys, don't you? And I'm, I'm wondering, just in general... Hersham you... Boys is a fantastic record. I, I did buy that when it came out. Right. Um, I've got to admit, I wasn't familiar with this song, Questions and Answers. I, I don't think I'd even heard it until now, watching this episode. Uh, it you know obviously uh, left that little impression. Formed in Hersham in 1976 from the ashes of Jimmy and the Ferrets, a band which used to mime to Bay City Roller songs and the infamous Walton Hop where Jonathan King used to knock about. Sham 69 took the name from an eroded piece of graffiti commemorating Walton and Hersham FC's 1968-1969 season. Sham 69 made their chart debut with Angels with Dirty Faces in May of 1978. They had two top 10 hits in late 78. This is the first single from the new LP, The Adventures of the Hersham Boys, and the follow-up to Oriopare, and it's up from number 33 to number 20. I think it tells you everything you need to know about Sham 69, that they come not from the Vortex or the 100 Club or the Roxy, but from the Walton Hop. They are very much kind of home counties punk rather than gritty urban punk. And um, yeah, I I loved Hersham Boys. That that was a fantastic single. It's kind of, um, it's it's sort of like Slade meets the Charlie Daniels band. This kind of um, tub thumping, um, you know, punk rock, but with a hillbilly breakdown in the middle. Um, Mm. But this song, uh, no memory of it at all. it's it's barely even uh, it's it's certainly not uh, made any uh, impression on my consciousness but it's it's a very slight tune isn't it and mm. he's kind of uh, getting angry about 
this and that and sort of giving some message of self-determination and rebellion against what they want you to do in in a way it's 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 just a, a slightly more adolescent version of of what your lank-haired fellow in Supertrap was singing about exactly uh, at the time of course sham 69 they, they were attracting a lot of attention from the national front and skinheads and stuff like that and and you get the feeling off the band that they absolutely love being on top of the pop simply because the they're going to be playing safe in the knowledge that DLT isn't going to try and jump on stage and start a fight or Kid Jensen's not going to start giving Nazi salutes or anything like that. So, um, <laughs> you, you see, I mean, and the other thing that uh, that I have to say is, isn't Jimmy Percy the Chris Needham of punk? He is. Uh, you know what I've got written down here? <laughs> Lyrics worthy of Needham, yes. Piggins vintage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Because the lyrics truly are fucking... They're awful. I mean, it's like the fucking Levelers or something. It reminded me of that The Only Way of Life or whatever that song was, that self-determination yeah, yeah, yeah. thing that, that, that Pricey was on about. Um, uh, they clearly enjoy being on top of the pops. Yeah. I don't think the audience dig them that much. No. There's like a dozen people stood there looking pretty bored. And Yeah, of course, the bit when he falls on his ass is just great. Well, let's go through that. During the middle eight, Jimmy Percy throws a towel into the crowd, attempts to click his heels together, fails walks down some steps with a mic stand like Mick Jagger, skids on his arse, stands there, stands up, laughs, then gets fucked off, sits between the Marshall stacks at the back, goes back to the mic, goes into the splits and fails to get up in time to mime the chorus. I think what's wonderful about the moment when he falls on his arse isn't that he just falls on his arse. It's like you say, it's the bit when he sits down um, in front of the he, he, and, and his shame in a sense I, I know he's he kind of get, his, he, he feels slightly embarrassed and his embarrassment is so tangible it actually makes the the, the video go into slow motion <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional or not in a way but, that's that's as punk rock as any of the uh, Legs & Co choreography to Silly Thing mm. if only Flick Colby had seen Jimmy Percy's performance of this first and said right girls this is what you've got yeah. to do and to me, this was punk. I mean, we I remember being at junior school and we loved Sham 69 because that was what 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 we thought punk was, was Sham 69, which was basically just... Being a lout. Being a lout, basically. Yes. That was yeah. it. It's not, not rebellion as such, just kind of just kind of obnoxiousness and just being a bit kind of snotty and loutish and oikish. That's what punk was. And that's why it attracted that kind of far-right following, which apparently Sham 69 wanted nothing to do yeah. with. But and, uh, and Jimmy Percy, he goes for it with gusto. He, he's got... He's not a stage school kid, I know, but he's got that kind of thing to him. Um, and, and it's interesting what you said about the video effects. Um, like you say, they do seem to only have a, a, a couple of effects available, the mosaic effect, and like you say, the slow-mo one. I think this had a heavy influence on um, Asian wedding videos of the 1980s, oh, really? um, which, which all seem to incorporate both those effects quite heavily. Was, was there also a lot of slipping on your arse in Asian wedding videos? Yes. Uh, yeah, fair amount, a fair amount. So question and answers would drop two places the following week but nudged itself up to number 18 afterwards, its highest position. The follow-up, Hersham Boys, was a number six hit in August of that year but the next two singles flopped and Sham split up in 1979. Ace. Questions and answers from Sham 69. You want to cool it down a bit? Okay.
Peter Powell delivers his decision on Sham 69. Ace. Peter Powell does a thing. He makes that kind of ring with his forefinger and thumb and he says ace. The A-OK. Because that's his idea of cool. He's like, ace. I love that. Yeah, like, uh, like Jazz Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he's he's the kind of young, cool, trendy Radio One DJ. You know, he's not like these old dinosaurs like DLT and Savile. He's just, he's kind of groovy young thing who will say ace and introduces <laughs> candidate. Formed in London in 1976 by members of 70% Proof and Hot Wax, who later became High Tension, Candidate was signed to Rack Records by Mickey Most at the end of 1977. Their debut single failed to make the top 10, but this, the follow-up, didn't. And it's jumped 10 places to number 22. Clear, I thought they're basically a shit Tavares. You know, I'm sorry. (laughs) This wasn't working for me at all. This goes back to what we were saying about Light of the World at the start of British people trying to do soul and funk music and just not quite getting it right, not doing it as well as the Americans. And I really want them to, you know. I I hate the idea that, you know, uh, it's all got to be about the authentic rootsy stuff from the states i hate the idea that we can't manufacture our own but this this record it, apart from anything else 1979 it just seems so out of date it's like they haven't got the memo that the 80s are nearly here they still got the kind of high-waisted trousers and open neck shirts yes and uh you know it i don't know it it, it just seems like a really pale photocopy of something like always and forever or you know a decent stylistics ballad yeah, it, it, in a sense, it, it, exactly like Light of the World. It is mm. quite dated, actually, uh, even in 79. It sounds like yes. a sort of late 60s, early 70s Temptations or Delphonics track, really. Um, the strings and everything else. What's surprising about it is the backing yes. singers look magnificent in a kind of Milli Vanilli way. Um, but then the geek kind of takes over, um, who's got a lovely voice. But uh, perhaps I'm uh, masturbatorily fixated today. But because he's got one hand on the keyboard, <laughs> the way the camera pans back, it, it does look like he's tugging himself off. And 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 they, the 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 the, the studio directors clearly know the audience can't do anything to a song like that because the Sham Sixty Nine fans aren't going to suddenly start slow dancing to it. So it becomes like an abstract bit of collage in a sense. There's just that. There's those there's those bits where the, the the singer's face and the backing singer's face are kind of melded together. Very Asian video uh, wedding video, but also um, you know, there's a thing though. There's something about the way that spotlights look on top of the pops. Yeah, they yeah. shine with kind of four prongs to them in a way, and and that is the look of disco that is the look of top of the pops at that time and and this um performance it's it's barely a performance in a sense it's kind of like this strange abstract collage of those spotlights the kind of mixed up faces and this i have to agree with price slightly dreary dreary song and isn't it phil fearon who was um, later in galaxy and did uh dancing tight which i hated i hated that song i hate i hated galaxy as well (laughs) So, yeah, this is it's getting a thumbs down for me, sorry. <laughs> so the follow-up, Girls, 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 got only as far as number 34, and they split up in 1980. However, guitarist Phil Fearon had a string of hits throughout the 80s as Phil Fearon and Galaxy. Oh, that's so good. That's Candidates, and I don't want to lose you. I'm not going to lose you, or you, or you. And we are going to have Sister Sledge, and he's the greatest dancer at number six.
Powell uh, introduces this. Suddenly he's got yes. a hat, right? And he's and he's 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 turning to these girls next. He's going, I don't want to lose you or you or you. How creep? How fucking creepy can he be? <laughs> you know what? Is he going to have some kind of foursome with them all? What's going on? You know, back in the green room. It makes you wonder what actually Jimmy Percy actually slipped on in the previous song. <laughs> Yeah, but Peter Powell has found a hat from somewhere and is surrounded by audience members, giving us a chance to discuss the fashions of 1979. Shit, aren't they? They all look like trainee geography teachers. You know, usually on Top of the Pops, you can see people who are there just yeah. for one band or something, um, who look clearly like fans of one band. You can't really see that in anyone there. And it is, it's yeah. jumpers, slassinger yes. jumpers with a shirt. And just extremely dull clothes. I mean, they are young people, I guess, but they're young in the same sense that the cast of yes. Police Sir were young. That that you know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're dressed in in particular. They're dressed in a just like their parents would, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So anyway, Peter Powell introduces a video of Sister Sledge, spawned by a Broadway tap dancer father and an actress mother, the Sledge daughters. Joni, Kim, Cathay and Debe were trained by their opera singer auntie as church singers until they started a pop career in 1971 and signed with Atlantic. They made the UK top 20 in 1975 with Mama Never Told Me, but were at a crossroads in the late 70s when they were linked up with Nile Rogers and Bernard Edwards of Chic, who produced their LP We Are Family. This is the first single of that album, which was originally lined up as Sheik's next single, but when the record label wanted a more revert disco tune for the group, it was given over to Sister Sledge and tacked onto the LP at the last minute. This is a touch of class, isn't it? This is just a yep. cut above anything else on the whole episode. It's been a bit shit and tawdry uh, so far, and suddenly you've got something that's just come from the future or from outer space or from you know some incredibly glamorous world that's... Uh, Never mind outside the UK, it's just outside the realm of, of most pop. Just just the sound of it, it's absolutely sublime. Um, and I, 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 love, I love the story uh, behind Sister Sledge. That, um, and this, this is kind of uh, um, anecdotal, but it's also backed up in Niall Rogers' uh, amazing autobiography, Le Freak. Basically what happened was that um, they were a, a failing pop group on uh, um, the Atlantic roster. Um, they, they'd had a couple of records that hadn't really done anything. And it was almost a sort of Henry Higgins, My Fair Lady situation, where um, uh, basically uh, uh, Jerry Greenberg of Atlantic and and Nile Rogers and Bernard Edwards uh, just had this kind of conversation about it. And uh, uh, originally, uh, the Chic guys were offered anyone they wanted. They, you know, said you can produce the Rolling Stones, even Bette Midler, just just anyone on the, on the roster. And, they, and that didn't interest them. They wanted somebody who was a failure. And it was almost this thing, you know, I'll wager with yeah. you, sir, that I can turn this <laughs> this failed uh, bunch of gospel singers into an international pop sensation. And they went and did it. And the album, you mentioned the album, We Are Family. Um, hardly any tracks on it. So, you know, mm. um, was it seven, six, seven tracks on it? But it's just one, It's you know, probably the, uh, in terms of albums, it's, it's up, w- up with um, I Remember Yesterday by Donna Summer as, as you know, uh, for an actual suite of disco music, uh, one of the greatest albums yeah. uh, to, to come to come out of of that that genre. Yeah, I think Noel Rogers actually says that out of all the records that the Chic organisation made, "We Are Family" is the the best album, the, mm. the one that he's the most proud of. And um, it's just a moment, like Pricey says, it just rises above 
uh, immediately as soon as it starts. It's just a cut above, and it, and it still sounds like the future. Yeah. Um, there's a way of talking about disco in a way that that oh, it was the seventies. It's it's thirty years old, but certain records, particularly sheet records and sheet produced records, they still yeah. sound like the future to me. Um, they still sound like they're finding. I know they're completely different, but in a way, like craftwork, they're finding a way for human beings and technology to create something just sublime. Um, it's just such a glorious record, and their sisterliness, I think, is important to it. It's natural and kind of unforced in this video. They're not so perfectly choreographed. They dance like yes. sisters on a dance floor, um, and um, also one thing I notice: it's one of the first tracks that I can think of or remember to feature brand mm. names quite heavily i think gucci's mentioned and a few other things a very very hip-hop yeah. thing in a sense. and also frisco i thought where where's frisco what do they mean what's frisco it took me ages to work out they meant san francisco mm. well when that song came out i always thought it was one night in a disco on the outskirts of bristol <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. and that was as me. exotic as san francisco also, to me at the in, time in terms of getting the lyrics wrong um <laughs> yeah. i always thought that they're singing I wonder why he's Me the greatest too. dancer. And I, I thought, well, you know, he's, he's yeah. probably put in the hours. He's done a bit of practice. <laughs> but it's, they're actually, but if, if, if you lip read, you know, with the benefit of YouTube, they're singing, oh, what, wow, which yeah. doesn't really make any sense. Oh, what? Who says that? No one says that. Oh, what, I, wow. I, I thought it was I wonder why until yesterday when I Shit. Googled the lyrics. I, I thought it was I wonder why he's the greatest dancer. And I will probably continue to sing that. Uh, yeah, it makes okay. a weird kind of sense more than oh, what, wow for me. But yeah. um it's just, it, it's a total cut above the, the rest of the show. Do you know the and, other story with this song is that they nearly refused to do it yes. because um, they're good Christian girls and oh. uh, and the lyrics go, my creme de la creme, please take me home. And they were really yeah. uncomfortable with singing a line that implies that any member of Sister Sledge would be interested in a one night stand. <laughs> <laughs> But Kathy Sledge as well, who I think takes the lead vocal, she's just such a likeable singer. Um, yeah. There's something about her face when she's singing this that's just so joyful and wonderful. Um, even though it's a video and they're not in the studio, it's without a doubt by miles the high point of this show. It is, isn't it? It is. If this song had actually been by Chic, would there have been any real difference at all? No, not really. And, you know... Um, if you go and see Nile Rodgers and Sheik perform live now, he'll do this as part of the show, and he'll do things like Spacer by Sheila and B. Devotion, which I think yeah. might be the greatest record ever made. This is the thing with Nile Rodgers and Sheik, is that they produced maybe six or seven records, which when you're hearing them, that is the best record anyone has ever made. And yeah. I think... Um, I don't think this is even the best Sister Sledge song. I think Lost in Music. That mm -hmm. when you hear that, uh, yeah, you, really, hear Lost, hear Lost in Music. You, you are. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a thinking of you kind of guy. To be really, honest, thinking, can't argue with thinking of you. Yeah, absolutely, that is great. But but for me, there is this kind of otherworldliness to uh, Lost in Music, yeah. which he also recaptures again with Diana Ross on Upside Down. Yeah, um, which yeah. just sounds kind of just slightly spaced out and concussed. Um, that, that I really love and, and it does just sound like uh, music from an, an, another realm and and, and it, it doesn't seem possible that human beings can have made it and it doesn't seem possible that human beings can have made a better record and I think yeah. like I say I think Sheik did six or seven of those yeah, and what a totally. shame they didn't put that effort into the into the video because the video's cheap as fuck isn't it it's like here's a rug stand on that here's a silhouette of a palm tree in the background dance in front of it a bit you know put your arms out and sway and 
and that nice costume. It is. It is, but it, ena- it enables you to focus. I think on on just the groove, and, and it's just true. like like Simon says. Whether you, I mean, because she had "I Want Your Love," "I Need Your Love" rather in the charts at the time. I Those are records. Uh, I want your love. Sorry, and um, you know, upside down things like that. They are records that you still kind of, even with all the distance of time, you step into them. They're like worlds, and you just yeah. want to stay there. Yeah. Um, and and this is one of the you know I think one of the most sublime things to do. Although. Yeah, I would agree. Lost in Music is the one for me from Sister Sledge. Amazingly, he's the greatest dancer. Drop down one place the following week. Fuck people. Philistines, heathens. <laughs> the follow-up, We Are Family, would get to number eight two months later and would be their last top ten hit in the UK until the re-release of Lost in Music in 1984. Then all those songs got re-released and there were you know massive... They were all top ten hits, weren't they, in the uh, 84? We're not going to talk about the song Frankie, are we? <laughs> no, we're not. No, we're not. I know. I know. <laughs> Niall Watson, she very much not involved in that one. Hey, take me anytime. This is Sledge at number six, and he's the best dancer. It could be you. Right, time to stop posing and to think about this week's number one. There's a father. Peter Paul tells Sister Sledge that they can have a piece of him anytime oh. and introduces the new number one. Yeah, he does. He implies that, doesn't he? <laughs> and he introduces the new number one, which is Bright Eyes by Art Garfunkel. Formerly half of Simon and Garfunkel, Art Garfunkel spent the first few years of his solo career as an actor and a maths teacher, not releasing his first solo LP until 1973. His only previous chart action in the UK was a number one hit in 1975 with a cover of I Only Have Eyes For You. And the song Bright Eyes was written by Mike Batt for the film Watership Down, the grimmest children's film ever. And it's about a rabbit that's slowly dying after being shot by a farmer. Get down, kids. (laughs) And it's moved up to number one from number three and has knocked glory again as I will survive off the top spot. First of all, Watership Down. Have we seen it? Did we see it as kids? Do you know what? I didn't see it at the time. I think all I saw was the excerpt of it you get in this video. Yeah. yeah. But being the kind of poncy, snobby, brain box kid that I was, I'd read the book instead. Um, so, oh, yeah, yeah. And also, I'd read Richard Adams' other book, The Plague Dogs, which is absolutely brilliant, by the way. Um yeah. which is uh, about about two dogs who escape from an animal testing laboratory, uh, probably setting up yes. for my later life veganism. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, it, it's, 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 it's so incredibly bleak, this, isn't it? Uh, I remember um, yeah. Manic Street Preachers uh, actually did a cover version of this during the, the last did. three gigs with Richie Edwards at the Astoria um, in, in London in ninety uh, four. Uh, when everything seemed to be hurtling towards some kind of apocalypse for them anyway. And then in the kind of um, acoustic break where James does his his bit, he he sang this. And it was actually really beautiful, but um, it does just have this sense of impending doom hanging over the whole thing. I wonder how many people who bought the record were were aware of that, though, because it's just a sort of... If if you take on its own merits, it's quite a nice, sweet sort of acoustic ballad, isn't it? And and maybe when Mm. it was on the radio, people didn't realise it's about the... Rabbity Angel of Death. 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's a lovely tune, that's the thing. Um, but yes. uh, but I, I think the darkness of it only really became apparent to me when I saw James Dean Bradfield do it. Uh, those are story shows that um, Simon's referring to. Um, it's interesting that they, they don't show much of it on this episode, do they? It's like a minute and then it disappears. Yeah. Almost as if mm. it's too bleak for the audience to... Yeah, almost as if it's too bleak yeah. for the audience to cope with. Um, yeah. Perhaps. I didn't see uh, Watch It Down when it came out in 79. I remember being taken to the cinema to see it. But I think unaccountably it was sold out or something. So I ended up being taken uh, by the person who was babysitting me at the time to see Kramer versus Kramer instead. And I was <laughs> I was six years old, man. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So you're, you're not allowed to see Rabbit Death, but you can see Divorce. So that's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's child injury in playgrounds and stuff it's like weird, that. It's weird, isn't it? But, because... One of the reasons that's always given for um, giving children pet animals is to um, accustom them to the idea of death. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the idea that sooner or later one of your grandparents is probably going to die. So if you have a guinea pig or something that's probably only got a three-year lifespan, then it just sort of yeah. it eases you into the idea of death. So in a way, I suppose there's something quite kind of benevolent and uh, kind of public-spirited about this whole enterprise. And, and, you know, uh, <laughs> yes. you know. Uh, sort of you know confronting children with with the brutality of, of the natural world but I, I, obviously I, I don't have kids myself neil i know you have are, are there any examples now uh, or in the last few years of um films which, which uh are, are as bleak or you know aimed at children that there is kind of not as terrifying. bleak i wouldn't say that there are moments in pixar movies where i don't know death is confronted but you know they're going to be all right. Whereas I don't think yeah. that was always the case with Watership Down. And some of the lines in this song that, of course, you don't notice when you're a kid. But, you know, following the, the river, river of death, death downstream, downstream and, and things yes. like that. Incredibly bleak. Um, one wonders kind of what the fuck is going on with Mike Bat, who can go yeah. from the Wombles to to cra- crafting songs like this. It's a great song. And, and uh, this isn't a plug or anything. But my band, the band that I'm in, covered this song so consequently I had to learn the words and learn everything and it's beautifully made and, and the words are, are really really suggestive it doesn't have to be about a load of rabbits it can, it can just be about no. I don't know anybody facing a sort of sense of mortality and um, very very bleak but yeah I was kind of really interested by the fact they cut it they basically cut it if it had been at number one for like 10 weeks or something fair enough as they started yeah. doing with Brian Adams but that had only just got to number one so exactly yeah, yeah. I'm wondering why that why that happened really well I'm trying to think about what else was in the video that, that would make them cut it I mean there's the one with the rabbits kind of like soaring into the air in this arc and the goodies took the piss out of it by shooting mm-hmm. it <laughs> I can't remember there being anything particularly grim that, that that isn't already there. You know what, though? Later in this same year, in fact, the final, I think it's the final number one single of the 70s, uh, there's an equally harrowing animated video, uh, yeah. Pink Floyd, yes. Another Brick in the Wall, yeah. with... Um, and with people being fed into a kind of sausage yes. machine and, you know, pulverised and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that, that was shown. I remember yeah. that. that. That left quite an impression. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there's anything involving, uh, you know, JCB diggers and rabbits that's more traumatic <laughs> than that. I don't know. I, think, I guess, I mean, you know, very little kids watch Top of the Pops, like little, little kids. Yeah. So I'm guessing they just thought, well, the rabbits might grab them, but we don't want them to hang around and, and actually hear the deep, dark tale of bereavement that kind of is actually going on. Mm. But it's a, a somewhat inexplicable decision, given that, yeah, it was only just number one. It's not a song I necessarily want to hear again, no. ever, but it's nice to know it's there. 
And there had been a tradition of, of big chart records in the 70s about death. You know, you've got things like mm. um, Bobby Goldsboro, Sonny, haven't you? And you've got... Uh, uh, oh, hot chocolate, yeah. Emma, and this, this, uh, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure you can Seasons name some. Seasons in the sun. Seasons in the sun, yeah. So you know, in a way, it, it wasn't breaking new ground in in singing about death and getting to the higher reaches of the charts. So it's it's kind of surprising. Maybe it is just that that combination of subject matter and the fact that it's a cartoon. Um, if it was just art singing yeah. it in the studio, it, you know, if he's there, sat on a high stool with his uh, acoustic... On his kitchen, his breakfast yeah, he's sitting bar. in his yeah. breakfast bar with his gun fingers in his mouth. You know, maybe that would be fine. Yeah. But, it's, but it's something about... It's, you know, it's, it's something about the kind of, you know, you've got, you've got Hector's house or whatever, and, and then <laughs> you've got a song about death. So, yeah, maybe it was, it. it was the juxtaposition was the issue. I've got a feeling that later, later on, he did appear once it became a big hit and stayed at number one, which I'm guessing it did. He did appear at the top of the pop studio, but yeah, the cartoon version was just too much for kids. Didn't Mike yeah. Bat and uh, Art Garfunkel have the same hair? Don't they have that kind of holding yes. ginger afro <laughs> really going did. on? Yeah, maybe they bonded on that. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and of course there was that lot on Tiz was who sang Bright Eyes. No, I did. I don't know this. Go on. Oh, well, it'll be on the oh, video right, okay. playlist. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bright Eyes would spend six weeks at number one, eventually being knocked off by Blondie's Sunday Girl. It became the biggest selling single in the UK in 1979, selling over 1.2 million copies. If it had never been released, Call for Cats by Squeeze, Some Girls by Racer, and Pop Music by M would have been number ones. Ugh. <sighs> Bloody Garfunkel. Pop, pop music's the elephant in the room on this episode, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah Robin completely. Scott from M uh, lives in Brighton now, where, where I live. And, does he know? Uh, yeah, and he runs a business. And what he does, um, he advises bands, I, I'm guessing people like Coldplay, on how to tour with zero carbon footprint. So, um, I don't know. Wow. Yeah. Good for him. He's, he's traded up his sort of one-hit one wonder status into some kind of uh, long-lasting career. It's Sarah Garfunkel and Bright Eyes from the movie Watership Down. And that is it from us all here at Top of the Pops. It's Wings. Good night tonight. Bye-bye. After Mull of Kintyre became the biggest selling single ever in the UK the year before, and with a little luck got to number five, the two single releases from the next LP, London Town, both failed to make the top 40. This is Wings' first single in 1979, and was originally lined up as the first single from the next LP, Back to the Egg, but it was held off the album. It's this week's highest new entry, number 25. I think what's going on here is, if you look at Macca in the 70s, he's basically trying to... Uh, illustrate to the world that he can turn his hand to anything. So yes. you've got the kind of hard rock nonsense of Helen Wheels. You've got even a bit of reggae in the, um, that break in the middle of uh, Live and Let Die. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then and then you've got um, you know Celtic folk with Mullo Kintyre, and here he is going disco with Goodnight Tonight, which um, it's very kind of flimsy 
end of the pier cabaret disco, isn't it? He's not really committed to it. Mm. He seems to. It's very and it's very English. It's very much like you know Tina Charles, I love to love that 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 end of disco or, or Kelly Marie. It's it's got no bottom end to it at all, has it? Which is weird for a bassist. Do you, you think he put a bit of that in there? But uh, but no, I, I think he's just trying to prove that that he can do whatever he wants. You can do it right now, please, Simon. I swear down. That video, uh, oh, you can do it right now, please. I can't think of anything else now when I encounter McCartney's mu- music. I- we should explain to <laughs> listeners, and if, if anybody's listening to this and they don't know what we're talking about, it's kind of inconceivable you would have missed it. But just in case, just just search for Meat Free Mondays, McCartney, you can do it right now, please. It will change your life and you'll see what we mean. Or go on our video playlist, the link to which will be on the website and on Facebook and on Twitter. Everything we talk about here, uh, every stupid reference we make, we, we pull it into a video playlist. So, you know, if you're American or if you're young or if you just want to wallow through musical ramble online, uh, that's where you go. We, we, we explain everything to you. With regards to... Um the McCartney track. Um, I think John Lennon was interviewed about it, sort of. F- yeah, and he said he, he was, didn't yes. like it, but he liked the bass line, and that was about it. I think um, it was it was massively underwhelming yes. for me. And and you know the flamenco guitar. If you got the flamenco guitars out, that's smacks of desperation to me midway through this song. So yeah, I think Simon's right. There's a, there's a slight air with all of McCartney's music of this period. Although there's the odd track here and there, like Temporary Secretary, that I like. Um, that that he's, oh, he's yeah. kind. He is just showing that he's a jack of all trades and that he can do anything. And he can turn his hand to he can turn his hand to new wave. He can turn his hand to disco. Um, the odd little gem in there coming up and things like that. But this one didn't really float my boat. So the song jumps six places to number 19 and would eventually get to number five. Uh, Goodnight Tonight was kept off Back to the Egg, which was released the following month and universally panned. Timothy White called it the sorriest grab bag of dreck in recent memory in Rolling Stone. The follow-up single Old Siam Sir only got as far as number 35 in June of this year and was the last Wings single to make the top 40. But Paul McCartney effectively went solo in December with Wonderful Christmas Time. And that is your lot. What's on TV afterwards then? Well, BBC One follows up with Blankety Blank with Bill Tider, Molly Sugden and Paul Daniels. And then there's a repeat of Porridge in tribute to Richard Beckinsale, who died last month. BBC Two's got an opera on all night, and ITV has Leave It to Charlie, a sitcom I know absolutely nothing about, and a mini-series version of From Here to Eternity. So, yeah, not really anything uh, worth stopping in for. You know, I think it's, it's off out to the shopping precinct and throwing chips at your mates in the bus shelter. I was probably sent early to bed and being hit by teachers because that was my life at the time. Right. <laughs> did you, Simon, did you make friends at that school? I mean, presumably you did. Yeah, I did. I'll tell you what, right? Uh, I came from South Wales and this boarding school in Sussex was, it was the first place I'd met black kids, first place I'd met Asian kids or anyone who wasn't white and Welsh. Um, and there was this amazing feeling of camaraderie amongst us all because wherever we were from, we were being subjected to the same brutality. So you did have that kind of bonding thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it made pop feel like contraband. It really did. Um, I had to hide my radio cassette recorder um, at the back of my locker and uh, 
you know, uh, and and you 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 weren't allowed to uh, have a record player or play records or anything like that. So uh, pop music was this kind of currency, this kind of um, it's like Soviet Union. It was like the Soviet Union. Did you yeah. did you did you it's, spend it's like, all your money on Elton John tapes and flares? <laughs> yeah, I did, and uh, yeah, I, I I had to have uh, those uh, those X-ray sheets with uh, yes. singles by the tourists, or uh, I don't know, <laughs> yes. yeah, Boney M carved into them. Yeah. Uh, at, the, at the time that you were in that boarding school, obviously, I, I, I was at um, I was at a private school, same one that Jerry Dammers went to. Oh fucking hell, man! I'm surrounded by toffs. Because you really are posh. Yeah. Philip Larkin went there and all, but um, the, the, <laughs> I can vouch for the fact that. The, cl- the the sort of teaching staff of these schools, we just caught the first sort of trace of your hip English teachers coming in. Mm. But most of them were just, they were like ex-military sergeants and stuff like this. And they were just sadists, brutal sadists and pederasts to a man, really. Um, so I, I, can, I, can, I can back that up. But, it, but it's kind of, it's odd, your memories of 79, because like I say, I was six. At the time, my wife's memories, who's six years older than me, are completely different. The specials were going on in Coventry, you know what I mean? And two-tone was, was bubbling under. I did not have a fucking clue about any of that and didn't until the specials got in the charts. But it, 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 this whole episode has this feeling of something impending, something's coming. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of... For me, I know Simon's stuck up for the punk stuff on, on this show, but for me, it does feel like those movements, in a sense, have blown themselves out. Mm. And the, there's sort of clear, and, and the rest of pop is sort of made by very old people. And there was there was just waiting for for a lot of young bands to come through as that as they did uh, uh, later on that year, like Simon says with Gary Newman and, and, and what followed. Absolutely, yeah. it's all about to change. I mean, even a month after this episode, uh, Margaret Thatcher would be elected prime minister, and it, even at the time, I didn't really get the significance mm. of that. I knew that uh, we were Labour people. I knew Labour was our team. Uh, I knew it was bad that our team had lost. But um, I remember watching the news, and you know, uh, it was Britain's first woman prime minister has been elected, and me saying to my dad, "Well, that's good, isn't it?" And he's going, "No, no, son, it's not. <laughs> it's really not." Because you know, he because because he, he he knew he knew what was coming. Um, but then you know, for, for better or worse, you had uh, Gary Newman. Um, in, in July and then uh, Two Tone releasing its first singles later in the year and I think that set up the whole decade then you've got this oppositional nature of the 80s of um, alternative pop culture uh, even though Newman was famously a bit of a Tory in those days uh, set against y- your actual establishment and, uh, um, and and conservative government and it needed that it needed that sense of conflict uh, to to, to kind of galvanise and, and to fire up the decade that was to come, but at this at this point when we're watching this episode, uh, it's a bit of a phony war, isn't it? Nothing's yeah. really mm. happened yet. There's still maybe a sense that politically Labour can hang on and that the seventies can drag on in a, in a kind of shuffling way for a few mm. more months uh, because we didn't know of the apocalypse around the corner. So, what are we talking about in the playground tomorrow, if we're allowed to? <laughs> I think I'd probably be talking about um, Jimmy Percy falling on his ass. <laughs> Did you see that? Yes, yes, that was the. I think we'd all be standing round. We'd get a gang of about five or six of us, and we'd all be singing uh, "Remember Then" by Shawadi Wadi. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. Yeah. 
<laughs> and the biggest kids who's already got pubic hair would have to do the bass notes, you know. And, yeah, yeah. And we'd all have um, we'd all have our collars of our blazers turned up to look like drape suits, definitely. Oh, definitely, yeah. And you'd be doing that dancing where you'd kind of like drop on the floor as if you're going to do some press ups, and yeah, then yeah. kind of lean backwards on one hand. And then, you know, get all dog shit on your hand and down your trousers because you weren't looking where you were going. Um, um, Happy days, literally. Yes. And what are we buying on Saturday? With with my current head, Sister Sledge by Miles. And I think back then as well. It's just such a great, great record. I genuinely did buy Lost in Music by Sister Sledge. So uh, I guess I I ought to say that. But I've I've got a feeling that if I had um, a spare quid in my pocket and I walked into a record shop without wanting you know without wanting to fake it and say oh I was Mr Cool I, you know I, I would have bought something really uncool it will be either Shawazi Wazi or Racy maybe both so there we go and the book is closed on another episode of Chart Music is there anything anybody wants to plug before we sign off I think I think Once I think again. Neil ought to mention his band. You know what? Yeah, totally. Neil, yeah. Neil said I'm not. It goes. Neil goes. I'm not plugging it, and he says he's he's in a band that does Bright Eyes. He didn't even say what they're called. I'm in a band called um, the Moonbears. Our last album is called Let's Get Nice with the Moonbears. I would obviously say it's really good, but mm. even pop critics that I respect, such as Chris Roberts, Taylor Parks, and Simon Reynolds, have liked it as well. So um, go to Bandcamp, Moonbears. Let's get nice. I think you'll enjoy it. Those aren't your words. There Those are go. the words of Top Gear magazine. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go through another run of the fucking all this shit you have to do when you do a podcast. www.chartmusic.co.uk, facebook.com, chart music podcast, Twitter, chart music, TOTP. Get yourself on them and dip your head into more chart music action. Um, that's pretty much it for this episode. I'd like to thank Simon Price. You're welcome. And I'd like to welcome Simon Kulkarni to the Chart Music family and hope that he comes back and does more of this kind of shit. Can I be called Simon Kulkarni again? Simon Kulkarni. What a <laughs> fucking knobhead I am. <laughs> I, hope I'm, I hope I'm allowed back out because I've really, really enjoyed it. So thanks for having yeah, us. Mate, you've, 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 you've passed the test. You've necked with everybody else in, oh, the, go, go. Uh, in the Chart Music gang. You're one of us now. <laughs> so anyway that is it for this episode of chart music hopefully we'll be doing these a lot more often hopefully the next one will be coming out in two weeks time uh sit tight for further information thank you very much my name's i'll need them brass really turns me on <laughs> <laughs> chart music Hello, Neil. This is your sister. Remember this? Disco lights, disco lights, dun la la na. Disco lights, disco lights, dun la la na. Disco lights, disco lights, dun la la na. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. 
Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.